continue uh, in worship this morning, we're going to open up God's Word to a number of different places in the Bible. And uh, the text that I've picked out is Proverbs chapter 13 and also Philippians chapter 2, but we're going to look in Genesis and a number of places this morning. We're continuing our sermon series on rest, excuse me, on wisdom, and uh, the, the title slide for our series has said it's God's wisdom, God's way. So often we live life our own way. In fact, Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. That's the way that we're used to living life, our own way. But as we gather together as a church, we are invited each week and this morning again to hear about God's way. And God's way this morning specifically as it comes to rest. As I was preparing this sermon, I remembered that years ago when I started ministry, it wasn't even that long ago actually, but I was assigned a mentor About 10 years ago, I was assigned another pastor to walk with me through this new thing of starting to lead a church. And as Rick, as my mentor, got to know me better, he saw that it was a point of pride for me that I would work very hard and even sometimes skip rest. I thought that this is a good thing. Won't people be happy with me or thankful for me if I do extra and if I do more? But Rick my mentor criticized me in the most kind and loving way possible. He asked me one day, Adrian, do you know the story of creation in Genesis? And I was a fresh seminary grad, and I said, yeah, of course I do. Not only am I a seminary graduate, I'm a minister, I know lots of stories in the Bible, and I certainly know the first story. So Rick said, so you know that God created the world in six days, and then he rested on the seventh day. I said, yeah, I know that. So he said, then, and on what day, Adrian, did God create humanity? Now I was getting a little bit annoyed. Did he think I'm foolish? I said, Rick, I know it was the sixth day. And I know even that God made man from dust. Figured I'd put a little more extra out there, prove how much I know. Rick said, so Adrian... Have you ever realized that God created man on the sixth day and then God rested on the seventh day, so man's first day on earth was a day of rest? I'd never thought of that before. Man's first day on earth was a day of rest. It's one thing to have knowledge and to know the stories of the Bible, but it's quite another thing to have wisdom. To be able to apply the stories of the Bible or the realities of our world to our own lives and our own situations. Not just to know the right thing, but to be able to do the right thing at the right time and for the right reason. I never considered that humanity's first day on earth was a day devoted entirely to rest. After that first day, Adam might have laid down to sleep and thought to himself, well, now I know what this is all about. I know why I was made. I was made to know God and to just enjoy Him forever. That's what the Westminster Confession says. And really, that is why Adam was made. 
He was made to, to know God and to enjoy God forever. That's the same reason why God created Samuel Sungyul Jong. It's the reason He made you and me, to know Him and to enjoy Him always. So why don't we always think about that or come back to that? Lois Tverberg is an author and speaker who likes to help equip Christians to read the Bible from a Hebrew or Hebraic perspective. And when she writes about the, Christ, the creation story, she says that creating humanity from dust is a paradoxical statement about our unique value within creation. We draw our lives from God himself, but we are formed from nothing but dirt. Throughout the Bible, dust is equated with insignificance or finiteness or limitedness. In Genesis 18, Abraham, one of the patriarchs, he asks God, now if I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, even though I'm nothing but dust and ashes, what if? And then Abraham asks God a big question. Excuse me. In Psalm 13, The psalmist speaks of God's care for the lowest people in the world. The psalmist says, God raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. And in Isaiah 41, Isaiah pronounces God's judgment on the world powers of the day. Isaiah says, God turns them to dust with his sword. He turns them to chaff with his bow. If you were a Hebrew or a Jew reading this Old Testament story, not for the first time, but if you were reading the story of creation and later the stories or the the wisdom of Proverbs, then you might bring all that to bear when you read Genesis 2. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. What indeed a paradoxical statement about our unique value in creation. We draw our lives from God himself, but on the other hand, we're formed from nothing but dirt. Western culture has mostly lost that paradox of our humanity. The picture in Genesis 2 is just is that we are at once... At once, we are amazingly honored. We're uniquely valued. We're, uh, we're higher than all creatures because we draw our breath directly from God, each one of us. And on the other hand, we are simple, finite, and utterly limited. limited. We are created from dust. In our world today, in Western culture where we live, People are more and more pulled to extremes. And in that context, it seems to me at least to be such a compliment and such an honor if someone says to you, you are complicated. You are complex. You are intricate. You are, have these paradoxical realities at work within you and alive in you. In all of us. Apart from God and apart from the wisdom of God, we always tend toward one extreme or another. 
Some of us, it turns out, are way too confident in ourselves. We busy ourselves with all kinds of tasks. We grow proud because of our successes in business. We walk, uh, we walk down the road and we enjoy wealth because of our success in finance. We're proud because of the situation of our family or the relationships we have in our community. We may forget about God, but we are, some of us, in danger of thinking that we are God's gift to other people. That's one extreme. And on the other extreme, there are those of us who think too little of ourselves. We forget about God, or or we forget about God as well. We walk burdened down with the worries of this world. We're heavy with shame, with the negative comments or looks from others. Every day, we look in the mirror and face our emptiness, our sadness, our failures, our inadequacies. To use the biblical picture, we think that we are only dust. We think we are useless or worthless. Is it any wonder that apart from God, the megalomaniacs, the egotists, busy ourselves taking charge as much as possible of our world and pushing others down? And we never have enough when we choose to live our lives that way. Or maybe, is it any wonder that apart from God, so many of us think so little of ourselves? We're undone even by some small comment by a stranger, someone who doesn't even know us well. Or we look endlessly for praise or affirmation from other people, and regardless of whiff or when we find it, it's still not enough. As Christians, we start from a place where we believe the words of Scripture, we believe the words of the Bible, and we believe that they still have something to say to us today. And like me, you may know many things about our world, or you may know many things about the Bible, think you know many stories, but we are looking together for wisdom from God. Again, this wisdom is the right thing at the right time for the right reason. Or to put it another way in the title of this series, wisdom is God's direction, God's wisdom, and God's way. All of this brings us to our text for this morning in our Proverbs 13. Proverbs 13 verse 4 says, A sluggard's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. Now, we sometimes or maybe often think of a sluggard as a lazy person. And so when I was a kid, this verse and many other verses were used uh, to instill in me uh, what was later told was a Dutch work ethic. Different ethnic groups, different groups of people all have different approaches to work. And so maybe you're familiar with something similar. The kind of attitude or expectation that makes you feel guilty for resting. Don't be a sluggard. Don't take a break. Keep at it. But guilt and sin always take you further than you want to go. And so in trying to avoid laziness, I and many others were pushed in the opposite direction. 
I felt like I could never enjoy rest. I didn't think that God had much rest for me. And I have found that while laziness is not diligence, on the other hand, overwork and overexertion and pride in ourselves is also not diligence and also doesn't lead to satisfaction. For years, the community that I was a part of growing up and others too pushed me to be someone who had huge confidence in myself. But as a community, we often neglected people who thought they were only dust. Thinking we are only dust or actually being lazy doesn't lead to satisfaction. But neither does confidence in ourselves. Neither does overwork or pride in the work of our own hands. That doesn't lead to satisfaction either. I'll say it again that without wisdom from God, our Western culture pushes us to these two extremes. And at the extremes, both, all of our appetites go unfulfilled. At both extremes. There are, in fact, I want to suggest to you this morning, two kinds of appetites that go unfulfilled that Proverbs talks about. One appetite that goes unfulfilled that Proverbs talks about, which is probably familiar to all of us, is someone, the appetite of someone who has nothing to eat. If you have nothing to eat, you will be hungry. But the other appetite that goes unfulfilled is the appetite of someone who has endless choices and who is always consuming more. We understand intrinsically that someone who has no food will be hungry at the end of the day. But there's a story in Greek mythology, and I know that not all of you are interested in that. But this story is about a king named King Erisichthon who chopped down a tree who was sacred to a goddess. And he chopped down this tree so that he could build himself a banquet hall, a place where we could eat lots of food. And so as a result, this goddess made him always hungry so that he ate more and more and more. First he ate all the food in the banquet hall, then he ate all the food in the castle, then all the food in the city, then all the food in the kingdom. And still he was hungry until finally he chewed off his own arms and legs. Now maybe that seems like a silly or a far-fetched story. And of course, no one's claiming it ever happened. But maybe I can use a more modern example. If you're hungry for the admiration of others, if you spend hours online and you're always looking for new people to follow, new images to post, new filters that will make things look just so, you will find very soon that there's always someone who has more than you. There's always someone who looks better than you. There's always someone who has more followers and more friends. And if you surpass that person, you'll find another one and another one and another one. To use a more modern example, you may find that at work you strive to be the best. But there's always someone who has a bigger promotion or a better paycheck or a nicer office or, or a different and more preferable situation. If you are always looking for more and needing more, you also will never be satisfied. The desires of the soul of the sluggard, Proverbs says, they lead to emptiness. 
but the, desire, the desires of the soul of the diligent, they are fully satisfied. As I said, when I was a kid, we spent a lot of time looking at that word sluggard and trying to unpack all of that and wonder, what is a sluggard? What does it mean to be lazy? And we could spend a long time on that this morning, but we won't. Because Jesus says that you will know, we will know a tree by its fruit. An apple tree won't give you bananas. A pear tree won't give you grapes. You'll know what you're looking at by the kind of fruit that it produces. Or if it produces no fruit. So all of us, myself and you included this week, all of us have been chasing our desires. We have been doing what we think is best or maybe what we think God calls us to this past week. Have your desires led you to satisfaction? Or have your desires left you hungry? Have your desires left you empty and longing and hungry for more? Or have your desires led you to a place of contentment and peace and rest? Maybe you've never thought of it that way. But wisdom from God is practical and applies to every area of our lives. All of us go out from this place and we go to different places. We spend time with different families. We have different work. We have different friends, schools, and places where God calls us to. People to whom God calls us. But God invites all of us, each of you, to live a life of fullness, a life where you are satisfied and can find rest. You don't need to sit in a room with a bunch of dusty books until you start sneezing in order to be wise. If we want to be wise when it comes to rest or when it comes to anything that God calls us to do, what we need to do is very simple. We need to hear even just one simple truth from God and begin putting that truth into action in some area of our lives. That's the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord being impressed by God and doing what He says. Again, the fear, or or if we want to be wise, we need to hear even just one simple truth from God and begin applying it to our lives in some particular situation. Then you will find rest. Then you will find satisfaction. Instead, many of us fall easily into patterns where our faith in God fits into the margins or the the edges of our lives. And this fits, the more we do this, the more things fit in our Western world. In the West, faith is a private thing that fits into the gaps of our schedule. It maybe fits into evenings or or weekends. We busy ourselves with our work, with our school, with our families, with our hobbies, with our sports, with our vacations. We make time in the morning to pray, perhaps, or we come to worship together on a Sunday morning on the weekend. Maybe we have a group or a study that we're a part of. But where do you turn? When you find that your desires and what you've been doing each week leads to emptiness. If you find that the things that you've been doing don't fill you up, where do you go? What do you do? Do you just do the same thing over again and hope for a different result next week? 
in our time, in our age, change is costly. Some change is forced upon us. That change is costly too. Change that comes from war and political instability in other places around the world, but also closer to home. Change that comes from internal challenges in our own heart. Change that comes from church pressures within our community or denomination. Change that comes from the situations of people we love, our friends, our families. It often seems as though we have so many options available to us and all of the options for change are costly. So we might prefer simply to just stay in an unsatisfying situation rather than entertain more change, even more change. We might stay in in a situation where we are unsatisfied because we're afraid of taking a risk that comes with pursuing a new and better way. Or to put a finer point on it, we might take up, we might not take a risk. We might not make a change because either we're uncomfortable doing things God's way or we don't know what God's way is. We're not sure that God even cares about us. I'm not sure God cares about me and the thing that I do each week, each day, each hour. Maybe I am just dust and it's not even worth it to try. Before we close today, excuse me, before we close today, I want to talk for just a few more minutes about God's path to rest. This sermon series image, and I didn't put it on the screen this morning, I apologize, but the path to wisdom is the image of this sermon series. Someone hiking down a path, and there are mountains ahead, and it says, Our series has been God's wisdom, God's way. The path of wisdom is the path that God is leading each of his people along. It's a path that you and I, if we are Christians, are already beneficiaries of, but a path that we are invited to walk with one another and with Christ. Consider how the Apostle Paul writes these words as a challenge to you, if you think too much of yourself. Or, on the other hand, if he writes these words as an invitation to you, if you think too little of yourself. This is, as you can see, from Philippians 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded with one another, having the same joy being, excuse me, by being like-minded with one another, having the same love, being of one spirit and one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not only look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, 
who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held on to, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Paul says, the Apostle Paul says that Christ is the path to satisfaction. That Christ is the path to rest. He says your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. That if you want to find rest, if you want to find joy, if you want to find satisfaction and peace, look to Christ. And what did Jesus do? Jesus emptied himself. If you have all the power and all the control, if everything in your life is going well and everything in your life depends on you continuing to push it, then it's very difficult to empty yourself and find rest. It's very difficult to find the path of Christ. On the other hand, if you have only shame, if you are only dust, then what a joy it is to be emptied of that shame, to be emptied of that dust, and to be filled with the life and the peace of Christ. Whether the journey is hard or easy, to each and to both, Christ offers a new way, a new life, a new identity, and a new family. The way of Christ is a way where he has already emptied himself so that you might be filled up. If you're full of yourself already, there's maybe no room for Christ to fill you up. But if you're empty, you can, if you remember that you are dust, you can be filled up with Christ. You can have satisfaction and rest in connection with God already now. Jesus has walked the path that leads to rest and leads to life before. We've touched on many passages already today, but if you read the New Testament, if you read the Gospels especially, you'll see that Jesus' journey is the journey from birth and baptism, which we celebrated this morning, to life, to rest. And not just life that lasts for a little while, not just life that, or rest that lasts for a little while, but life and rest that last forever. Jesus walked that road before you, and it is a road that leads through suffering. It's the road that's summarized in what I just read in Philippians 2. But brothers and sisters, because Jesus emptied himself, And because Jesus walked this path, this journey, the way is open to you and to me as well. No matter what suffering, what struggle we are going through, we can say with Adam in creation, we can say with all of God's people, what peace and satisfaction and rest to know God and to enjoy Him now 
and always. That doesn't mean our pain goes away. That doesn't mean our difficult situation melts into the background and we are whisked away from the difficult realities of this world. But it does mean that Christ gives us a peace that passes understanding. That Christ gives us joy and rest regardless of our circumstances and even within situations of great pain. Again, before we close, just give you a few examples. The Apostle Stephen in Acts chapter 7, when he was being stoned and in great physical pain, found heavenly peace and rest. Even though Stephen was just a person, he was imperfect like you and I, God led Stephen to himself in that moment. Paul and Silas, when they were in prison later in the book of Acts, they were being physically beaten and then thrown in jail and locked up. But as they began singing, even though they were imperfect people, and I imagine imperfect singers, God still gave them rest there as well. And again, finally, Jesus, who has perfect faith, who was and is perfect. He led his disciples through his life on earth, but always had the most difficult moments ahead of him. But because of that last difficult part of his journey was always in his mind, and because he was able to walk through it, he knew he could have his father, and he knew he could have us with him. In all of these stories, and there are too many more to share, both from Scripture and from history, in all of these stories, the person had to seek God and rely on God in prayer in difficult times of great suffering and trouble. But there's a a thread, a commonality that connects all of these stories. That these people in in situations of suffering, in situations of trouble, in situations of pain, they did two things. They looked to God. That's number one. And they prayed for others who were persecuting them. Number two. They looked to God for peace, for satisfaction, even in their difficult situation. They didn't first ask to be removed or for it to be over or for it to end. They said, God, I need your peace and your satisfaction now. And number two, they looked and looked to and prayed for others who are around them, even others who were persecuting them. The way to ultimate satisfaction and rest is totally different for Christians than the way that our world proposes. Christians don't fill our lives with our mission or with our tasks or with even our desires. We don't try to get control of other people or get control of some group. We don't even try and get control of our own lives. These are opposite to the way of Christ who emptied himself and gave control to his Father. The the way to ultimate satisfaction and ultimate rest is to see ourselves as created by God for relationship with him. 
to see that we are empty, that we are dust, but also that we are breathed or filled with the breath and life of God. That if we want to find rest, if we want to find peace, if we want to find satisfaction, we can need to allow God to fill us up again. God is leading each of you, myself included, on a path in order to fill you up to the fullness of himself. When we try and fill ourselves up with other things, our path becomes longer and more painful. It takes more time for God to fill himself up or fill us up with himself. The further we are from God, the more difficult the course that we may have to take. But we can be encouraged because Christ has gone before us and our path is easier than his. He carried the weight of all of our sin, the sins of the world, and nailed it to the cross. Each of us carries the weight and the sin of one person. And that is a weight that we can put down any time. It's a weight that we can put down and empty ourselves of so that we might be filled with Christ. We were made to work. We were made to walk. We weren't made for laziness and just for sitting around, but we were made to walk with God, not alone. What we need is to be on the journey toward ultimate satisfaction, not alone, but with one another and with God. It's what you need. It's what I need. It's the journey that each of us are invited to. It's the journey that Samuel Syungol has begun. There's no quick or comfortable way to find rest or satisfaction. To use a physical picture as we close, I wonder if uh, some of you have done yoga or gone to the gym before. The feeling after you've done a workout and after you're just laying on the ground is a feeling of deep and joyful rest. You can't experience that rest simply by laying on the ground the whole time while everybody works around you. But neither can you experience it if you never stop going. You just work and work and work. We were made to walk. but We were made to draw our life and our strength from God himself. So embrace him. The more you embrace him, the more satisfaction and the more rest you will find every day and in every area of your life. Please join me in prayer. God, as we come to you in prayer this morning, as we celebrate and celebrated once again your covenant love, which unites us together in love and unites us to you in love, God, continue to give us wisdom to know that we are only dust, but to seek and experience and find your great love for us so that as we come to the end of ourselves and empty ourselves, we might be filled with more and more of you. God, give us the wisdom to not only hear what you have to say to us this morning, but also to apply it to our lives. 
We pray all this not because we are worthy of it, but in Jesus' precious name. Amen.